Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me today in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and oh yeah, that sometimes messy thing that we call life. This podcast is brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. All right, Boca Podcast listeners, thank you so much for joining me today for yet another episode uh, touching on a topic that we've we've not spent a lot of time on, and, and that is to do with blogging as a photographer. We're going to get there in just a little bit, but I'm here with, I, I won't say a new friend, Abby, because you and I have <laughs> had the opportunity to connect a number of times in person, I think at a couple of conferences, but I'm here with my friend, Abby Lowry, and Abby, that's spelled E-B-B-Y, but it's pronounced the same way as A-B-B-Y, Correct. Well, so actually, it's pronounced Ebby, but I always say like like Abby, but with an E because okay. no one ever knows how to initially pronounce it. So, <laughs> so Ebby, so and you are a wedding, primarily wedding photographer, wedding and portrait photographer, is that right? Yes, primarily weddings, and then every once in a while, especially for past clients and things, I do a little bit of other stuff on the side. Okay, and we're going to get into that a little bit about your business model, and then, of course, more specifically, blogging in just a bit. Uh, but as we normally do here on the podcast, um, we're going to start off with something that we call our technique for time or a tool for time. And so much of what we do, certainly at Photographer's Edit and on the Boca podcast, has to do with finding more efficient ways to run our photography business so that we actually have a life at the end of the day after after we have run our photography business. I'm curious if there's something that you do to create time for yourself as a business owner. Is there a particular tip or trick or a tool that you use that enables you to do that? Yeah. I mean, I think the hardest thing as a business owner is realizing that like you can walk away because you're always kind of, I mean, you could be on the clock technically since it is your business. But for me, I think it's really important to kind of set hours and I base it off of a normal work day primarily. So, you know, I get up, I do my thing, I work throughout the day and then around dinner time or five o'clock or so I put it away and I understand that, you know what, it's going to be there tomorrow. And so just kind of setting those hours and also knowing myself to where if I'm really feeling fried or, you know, not feeling like I'm devoting enough time to my work, then I go on a walk or I take my dog to the dog park or just kind of finding ways to utilize my time the most effectively and then be able to walk away and have time for myself at the end of the day. Yeah, it's funny how something as simple as just creating a cutoff point can seem so complicated sometimes. It's not yeah. like we actually need a tool to make that happen. Sometimes it's just sure. doing it. But I love the fact that you point out that that you know that you know that you, you you create that cutoff time, you walk away from it, your business, and you know that it'll be there when you get back. And I was just having this conversation with uh, another photographer, Miriam Salgado, who was on the, the podcast as well, about the reality, which is that like as business owners, as entrepreneurs, it's easy to get really caught up in what's going on in our going on in our business and begin to become afraid, fearful of the fact that if we happen to turn things off and walk away from our business, that something's going to go wrong. There's going to be some major emergency. And most of the time, that's yeah. not actually the case, right? Yeah. I mean, I think I remember when I was first starting out and everything, I, I would sit there and I would edit until a wedding was complete. So I would, you know, for 
two days or three days or however long it took me at that time, it was nonstop. I would eat my meals in front of the computer and everything. And I don't know at what point I realized like that's really not an efficient or effective way to work, but I'm glad that I did realize that. (laughs) Yeah. At some point we have to, we do have to step away. I mean, for the sake of mental clarity, for sure. I mean, that's really big for me these days in particular, uh, because I know I can get so caught up in everything going on with my business that that ultimately there's a lot just kind of jumbled together in my mind, and it's keeping me from being the creative, kind of original, outside the box thinker that I need to be as an entrepreneur. And so I, 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 it's important to do that for mental clarity and also for our physical health too. I mean, sitting in front of a computer for hours yeah. and hours on end <laughs> is is detrimental well, on multiple levels. And- Thanks to my Apple Watch for telling me it's time to stand at the end of every hour because without it, I probably would sit there during the day way longer than I should. So, well, and then I, I'm hearing your dog in the background there. Your dog probably <laughs> begs for your attention from time to time. You have to get up and take care of your dog as she well, right? Does. She's a little bit of a needy, a needy creature, but <laughs> she's the best. So I tolerate it. But yeah, definitely. So, in addition to the, let's just say taking your dog for a walk, what how do you like to spend your free time when you've got that space, especially in the evening? How do you like to spend that time? Yeah. So I don't know if this applies to anyone else, but I'm a huge like food network, Bobby Flay. He's my guy. So my, my boyfriend, John and I, we spend a lot of nights on our couch after we make dinner. We love wine. We watch TV, just kind of unwind. And, you know, both of us work full time and everything. So we really value our couch time and just relaxation. And it, I'm curious, do you take some of those, I guess, the, <laughs> the techniques that you learn on those shows and translate that to your cooking to you get to experiment with different things? Well, it's funny because like I... I would like to think I can kind of cook, but in reality, it's, <laughs> it's more or less just following recipes and whatnot. But uh, yeah, yeah I, we have fun doing like every single meal that we make. I think it, at the end, we're like, so what, you know, if we could add something or what could be changed or we try and be food critiques for ourselves. So. <laughs> I think it's so much fun to, to, as you say, grab a glass of wine and try a new recipe out. There's a little bit for of an sure. adventure there in that that's going to be, I don't know, I think it's a lot of fun and it's certainly relaxing as well. Yeah. I mean, I don't know when we started really liking it, but recently it's been probably one of my favorite hobbies is just watching it and being like, Oh, we got to add that to, you know, our next grocery list. We got to try making the perfect soft boiled egg or whatever we see on the TV that day. Oh, absolutely. I, there was something, I I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I was actually, I I got this idea, this inspiration, if you will, from watching, there's a Netflix series called chef's table. Have you seen that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen a couple of the episodes. I haven't watched it recently, but people love it. Oh, it, it's incredible. And I so far, my the first season is still my favorite. And and I mean, the, the production value in and of itself is some of the best that I've seen on any documentary anywhere. And of course, the stories innate to each of those episodes, they, they're telling mm-hmm. the stories of the chefs, and then of course, showing what they do. It's just it's so beautifully done. But from that, I, I was a little bit inspired. So one night, I actually tried something, I took a peach and okay. <laughs> cut that peach in half, uh, put some coconut oil in the pan, 
and then um, put the peach face down so that the, the meat was actually kind of being fried in that coconut oil and then poured a little bit of bourbon into the pan along oh. with it. And you have to be careful with this. I, I will add this caveat because I did this one time and the, the thing literally went up in flames, kind of exploded. But oh, that's um, good. <laughs> yeah. But most of the time that hasn't happened. So just be careful if you do this. But okay. then it infused that kind of bourbon flavor, almost created a, a caramelization from it into the huh. peach itself. Uh, and then you take the peach out and put a little bit of goat cheese in the middle. So now you oh, have this. Okay, this, now you're talking. <laughs> yeah, the slight, slight <laughs> bourbon flavor. It's caramelized. Of course, you have the sweet, but then you have kind of the savory from the goat cheese. Yeah. And it's this perfect little dessert. It's not heavy at all. you got to try it. It's, it's absolutely just incredibly I mean, tasty. You had me at goat cheese. I'm like, <laughs> okay. okay, okay, I'm in. <laughs> Well, that that was my foray at my create my maybe the extent of my creativity when it comes to cooking, but it's certainly enjoyable. Tell us something like totally random that most people don't know about you. So I was thinking about this earlier when I read your question and I was thinking about my upbringing and everything. And I don't think a lot of people know that I actually grew up on a horse farm out in the middle of the country. My parents train saddlebred horses full time. So that's their occupation, their business owners and everything. So it was a different upbringing than most. I uh, spent a lot of time playing outside, you know, running around the barn, playing with like barn cats and whatever. And then I also traveled a lot growing up to different horse shows in the summer and everything. So I think that kind of helped me adapt into like the wedding industry and being gone on the weekends and everything yeah. because I was gone majority of the summer growing up. Okay. So I have this kind of idyllic uh, picture in my head of what it's like <laughs> to own a horse farm. And it comes from a probably very naive uh, television or which, something. Well, actually, it was reading the Black Stallion series growing up. Okay. I was, for whatever reason, I was obsessed with with that series. I mean, just okay. like really immersed myself in it. But do you do you miss being in that world? Do you get to ride occasionally? So the, here's another interesting fact. I'm kind of afraid of horses. So really, okay. I, Grew up, I, I rode and I actually, my parents drove because they convinced me to get on a horse like once every two years. <laughs> um, so I don't really ride. I don't know, just not my thing, yeah. but I have great appreciation for it. But Well, they're, they're, they're stunning animals, but they're massive animals. At yeah, that. I, it, I don't know when it happened. And I think it took my parents like until I was a teenager to finally realize like, oh, I, I don't think she actually loves this. <laughs> um <laughs> But, but I, I also was thinking about growing up, I think all I wanted was I wanted to be in a neighborhood and, you know, go over to my neighbor's house and play and everything. And now looking back, I, I really think it was a pretty special way to grow up and the amount of family time I was able to have because, you know, my parents worked on the farm that we lived on. So I spent a lot of time there and got to do things a little bit differently than if I would have lived in that neighborhood like I dreamed of then. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally get it. That's really cool. So how long have you been in business as a photographer? We're kind of transitioning from the, the, the personal to the professional now, but tell us a little bit about how you got started, what your career has looked like. Yeah. So I actually, I was in yearbook in high school and loved yearbook, but I started getting really frustrated because we were designing all these beautiful pages and everything and no one knew how to take photos. <laughs> so I decided my junior year, you know what, I'm going to figure out how to do this. And I really started with sports photography. So I just started attending game after game after game. And, you know, maybe I would get three good pictures or something, but 
through that, I kind of fell in love with photography. And throughout college, I started, you know, taking senior pictures, taking family photos, that sort of thing, and really got into the wedding industry, probably my soft, this is my seventh year of weddings. So uh, started doing it in college. And it was kind of just like, something that I absolutely loved. And it was a dream of mine to make it a career. But at the time, I wasn't really sure. And so I kind of worked my butt off throughout college to where when I did graduate, I was able to just take it full time there. Wow. Okay, so but where did the inspiration come from uh, to, to be a professional wedding photographer? What was I mean, were you following particular photographers? Had you seen certain work that was inspiring to you? What was it? So I actually I had one of my good friends growing up, her sister was getting married and they asked me, it was a pretty small wedding and they're like, Hey, you know, you take photos. Can you do these wedding photos? And I'm sitting there like, what? Like that is (laughs) not the same thing, you know, like, no, I'm not prepared, whatever. And so, uh, I asked around and I actually started second shooting or initially shadowing and then turned into second shooting with, uh, Kara Kaminsky photography. She's based in Peoria, Illinois. And she kind of from there, in a lot of ways, became my mentor and helped me and taught me and just kind of, I worked alongside of her and somewhere along that just totally fell in love with weddings. And you mentioned you talk about your the way that your career got launched. And you're kind of matter of fact about it. A lot of photographers are so apprehensive about the idea of pulling (laughs) the trigger and, and actually launching their business and calling themselves a professional and charging for their services, what was it about kind of your just matter of fact approach to just, you know what, I'm just going to go do this? Well, I think for me, there was a comfort in knowing, okay, I don't have to make a million dollars right now. I'm in college. I, this is just my side hustle at this point. And so I really had those kind of formative years in college that helped me kind of figure out where I'm at and, you know, what I want to do and what kind of my approach to this would be and stuff. So I think just having a little bit of that lead in helped me that I know, you know, some people don't get that. Huh. Okay. Well, that's, that's interesting, but, but still kudos to you. I mean, even as much experience as a photographer, a potential photographer might bring to the picture. I know that as kind of as artist types, I guess, uh, we tend to be a bit over analytical and kind of get stuck in our head sometimes and, and make up reasons why we shouldn't just go for it. Um, I love that you just went for it. What, What is, what is it that sets your photography business apart from other photographers. And we talk about this idea of brand position on the podcast quite a bit because I think it's extremely important, especially when it comes to marketing. How do you set yourself apart from the photographers in your market? I honestly, I think that's 100% the most important aspect of my brand kind of because I think what sets me apart is myself as a person and that that really is my brand Mm. and that I, I care so much about my couples and I want for me, I want them to also look at me as a friend. So, you know, the week of the wedding, I want them to be texting me because, you know, their in-laws are driving them crazy and they're trying to plan and just kind of being that reassuring light, like throughout the entire wedding process and just knowing or wanting them to know that I care a lot about them and not just, you know, that it's a wedding and I'm making money from it. This is an interesting point of conversation. I don't think we've really dug into this a whole lot, but the the idea of you setting your brand apart from other brands. I mean, this is not the first time that I've heard this from a photographer. And my natural inclination inclination initially is to think, Mm -hmm. well, that's not actually a brand position. (laughs) Only only because like when when I think about a really distinct brand position, I'm thinking about something like a, a wedding photographer who only shoots black and white, whose target client 
our motorcycle riders in Wyoming. Like that's that's yes. getting really, really specific. So now you're going after a niche that likely nobody else is. You've got mm-hmm. this target client who you get to know so well that you can serve them the best way possible. Um, so when I think brand position, that's more the thing that I'm thinking about. But it's interesting that, yeah. that you're talking about the significance of you uh, in comparison to others, because you you do have a distinction yourself. Nobody's going to match you exactly. Photography yeah. in and of itself these days, especially with the way that technology has continued to progress and will continue to progress, the idea of, quote, good photography is, I mean, that that's almost a commodity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of you being what, what sets you apart from others makes more sense because it's hard to replicate that. It's easy to replicate decent photography and stick a Lightroom preset on it uh, at the yeah, end of the day. Yeah, I mean... I, I think I'm the first to say, you know, there are a lot of people that take really wonderful pictures. I don't, I don't think that I, in some ways I'm like, well, you know, yes, there are a lot of people that do what I do and can do what I do, but I just, I think it has a lot more to do with my clients and, you know, how I'm making them feel and that's, and how they're feeling during pictures and the feelings that are portrayed in the images that I'm taking. I think it's more just kind of that in a whole lump sum rather than yeah. just me, myself, you know, I'm awesome. Like it's, it's a lot more than that. I guess. <laughs> well, and to be, just to play devil's advocate and, and yeah. to be fair to the other photographers out there, there are other photographers who have even talked about this on, on the podcast that are, working at developing close relationships with their clients, working to take care of them on an almost intimate level. Uh, but they can't do that in the exact or identical way as you can your personality. They can't duplicate your personality. And that is ultimately what is setting you apart. So I, I, you know, as, as I'm thinking through this, as we're talking through this, that makes a lot more sense. And it is truly the thing that distinguishes your business, uh, at a very, very deep level from those around you. And I think that's a really interesting uh, conversation. Now, how do you communicate that to your potential clients? I mean, are you doing this through your website? Or are you doing it more effectively through social media now? How do you go about communicating your brand position to potential clients? I, I we'll dive into it more, but I think a big part of it is my blog and the things that are coming out in my social media, you know, the stories that I'm telling of the couples I've already photographed. Like mm. I... I think my ideal client, you know, they already see those stories and they picture themselves being a story. They want to be seen on there and they want to work with me. And, you know, they, they love my relationship with my boyfriend and they think my dog is cute and they, you know, they love the pictures. And so I think communicating before, you know, that even initial inquiry, you know, those people, I want them to be drawn to my photography, not just because they're pretty pictures, but because they want their story to be told by me through, you know, my camera. So I communicate that way. And then meeting in person is really big for me. So if possible, I mean, I have, I have a lot of brides and, you know, couples that don't live nearby, so it's not always possible, but setting up a Skype meeting to where there's something to be said about communicating when you can see the other person and just like a natural, just kind of flow and things and getting them excited about their day rather than uh, just diving into like the logistics yeah, that's an interesting point. You know, I've uh, I've been in a long distance relationship for some time now, and a lot of that communication happens uh, via phone or even yeah. like FaceTime audio. And so there's there's almost an art to learning to have good conversation and learning to read somebody just by hearing yeah. their voice. But it is a whole different dynamic when you actually get to see that person's face read the expression, the emotion in their eyes, 
or on their mouth, see the way that they respond to what you're saying, and then engage them accordingly in response to them. Uh, it is just a whole different thing. And, and, you know, technology makes it really easy for us now to just send a quick email. I mean, it has for years. Yes. Send a quick email or send a quick text. Do things that are convenient, but they're, it's hard to replace that, at least face-to-face, even if it's virtual through FaceTime or something comparable, mm-hmm. that face-to-face interaction really does make a, a bigger impact, I think, in some ways. It's so important. Yeah, I mean, I just feel like the connection that you get from that, even, you know, when I'm Skyping or FaceTiming with my potential clients or, you know, anything, it's like at the end, I usually am like, well, I wish I could give you a hug, you know, like we, I feel like there, there is that connection that's made, even though we can't physically touch each other, but just seeing, seeing each other and being able to communicate like that is huge to me. Yeah, it's so important. That's, that's really, really great. A common question that I ask on the podcast is about the toughest business lesson or just toughest lesson in general that you've learned as a photographer, maybe a photography business owner so far. What comes to mind? I I was thinking about this earlier, and I think it kind of wraps back to where I started my business and being in college when I was really trying to get going and learning that, you know, in order, if I want this dream to happen, there are sacrifices that have to be made. So, you know, unfortunately, weddings are usually on Saturdays. And so that was college football games or, you know, different events that I sat out on because I put my business first and no regrets there because, you know, I am at the point that I am now and that's wonderful. But I think being a business owner, you kind of have to make more sacrifices and deal with time management and stuff even more than someone who, you know, gets a job and then has a boss and someone else sets those things. So I think just figuring out the time and being able to realize you're going to have to miss certain things in order to make it work. Yeah, that's a. It's almost a kind of a somber reminder. But then, of course, the the flip side of that is we have so much potential freedom and totally. flexibility as yeah. business owners. It just is a matter of prioritization. There is always going to be, and I've, I've realized this on a bigger level in recent years. There's there's always a compromise to be made. Uh, mm-hmm. Compromise kind of feels negative. Ultimately, what it is, you're just making a choice over you know one thing yeah. or another. And at the end of the day, having that kind of freedom and flexibility is actually really powerful. Yeah. I mean, I think it's funny people now, I mean, at this point, I don't even consider it to be a sacrifice because, you know, I love my weddings. I love my weekends that I get to spend there, but it's, it's always interesting when someone at a wedding's like, Oh, like your job's so awesome, but man, you have to work all these weekends. And usually, I mean, I, I think about, Oh, but on a Wednesday I get to go do this or yeah. I, I get to work from home and I do get to do things like take my dog for a walk during the day if I want to. And just the flexibility and really rather than saying sacrifice, I think it would just be changes and, you know, adapting to running your own business. Yeah, that's that's a great, more kind of proactive and positive way to look at it. I like that. (laughs) It's not nearly as depressing as my first answer. (laughs) You know, this is kind of random, but we don't get into a kind of a typical bio reading uh, as an introduction to the podcast. I've tried to avoid kind of following the typical template for interviews. And so as a result, one of the things we don't talk about a lot is the actual market that our our guests, our podcast guests are in. What market are you you based in at this point? Um, So I'm actually in the Chicagoland area. Uh, I shoot a lot around here. I was originally from central Illinois, so I shoot a decent amount in central Illinois still. And then I have a handful everywhere else. So uh, I guess Chicago, but not limited to. 
And that's a, I mean, that's such a massive market. Do you find that, I mean, over the last seven years or so, that that landscape, the market has changed pretty significantly? What kind of changes have you seen come along as a result, again, of, you know, so many new photographers, especially with the technology that we were talking about? Yeah, I mean, I, for me, my business is kind of, I think college and starting it in college has been such a blessing because my market has changed because a lot of my friends and things are now starting to get married. And so a lot of my clientele has been referrals from places that I wouldn't even expect to. So I think, I don't know if that's even the right answer to your question, but it's just been interesting to see, you know, how things like that in the past have come back full circle and helped me grow uh, exponentially in wedding photography. Well, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that idea of connections, and I'm going to refer back to my conversation with Miriam again, but we were talking about the the importance, the significance of connections. This is also something that came up with uh, Kenny Kim. I had my friend Kenny on Mm -hmm. the podcast once, maybe even twice now, but he's talked about the significance of connections as well. Something that he does very proactively is to make sure that pretty much anywhere he goes, he's having a conversation with somebody, he's making a new connection because you never know when those connections kind of come back full circle and might be a really wonderful opportunity, obviously for, for your personal life. I mean, that's valuable in and of itself, but you never know how that might come back around for your business as well. Uh, 100%. I literally, actually, I just got a email from a girl who had been my waitress like six months ago and somehow we, you know, started talking and she's engaged now. And she's like, I feel like we were destined to me. You know, I, I, can't imagine not having you a part of my day because I've been following your work since we met. And just one of those things that, yeah, I mean, you went to a restaurant, you weren't expecting to gain a potential client. Yeah. But as long as you're willing to be, I guess, kind of make yourself available in a sense, open up for the sake of a potential connection, there's always opportunity for that. I was was actually on a trip this past weekend with some of my family, two of my brothers, my dad. We were on this this motorcycle trip. It's something that uh, seems to be coming... Uh, be becoming like kind of an annual uh, tradition almost. And uh, mm-hmm. so we were in the North Carolina, Georgia mountains, really, really beautiful. But at one point we stopped on our ride, pulled over and we're, we're enjoying this view and having some conversation. And all of a sudden this car pulls up and uh, there was two couples that were in their seventies or eighties. And okay. just, the, I, I know it's totally random, but they had just some of the most amazing energy that I have seen just from people in general as of late. It it was absolutely beautiful. So two couples, one that had been married 56 years, uh, and and the missus was was very excited to to share that. And (laughs) and then the the other couple was apparently a nephew, and, and I think his partner as well. But they were just so happy to be together, to hang out together. They were so happy to have a conversation with us. Um, I took a picture of the four of them with the scenery in the background, of course. <laughs> but the, the way that, that they were willing to open up for you know just a few minutes, I've never met them before. I'm never going to meet them yeah. again. Yeah. Uh, there was such a wonderful opportunity for connection with somebody totally random that I would never have expected and yet just really brightened my day. And I think, you know, it, it, there's a tendency that we have as photographers and artist types to it, probably in many cases label ourselves introverts. And so we kind of mm-hmm. li- limit ourselves in the potential opportunities that we have to connect with people for just willing to put ourselves out there a little bit, have some conversation. You never know what might come from it. Totally. I think it's a beautiful thing. Um, let's let's kind of talk about, uh, this is a, a fun question for me. What is a favorite piece of gear in your camera bag? Like what, what's the first thing that comes to mind? 
my go-to is a 51.2. So I, that was like, you know, at the time I bought it, that was a big deal for me. And that was a really big step in my career to be able to say, you know, it's, it's not an affordable lens, you know, it's a big deal. So, um, that was right towards the end of college when I was like, you know, this is going to be, this is my career. So that's my go-to. And then I also recently have loved, and this isn't necessarily in my camera bag, but it is my camera bag. Uh, I recently switched to a backpack and it's, it's not even an official camera bag. It's like a little Amazon leather backpack that I bought for a purse and then realized, oh, this could actually be (laughs) really nice on wedding days. So I've been sporting this little leather backpack and love it. It's just nice. So well, we may have to get to get the information about the backpack yeah. from you, so we can. Like, yeah, we can link to it in the show notes. But I, this is interesting. I mean, I've I've noticed in the last few years that that there seems to be this kind of newfound obsession in the photo industry with bags, um, <laughs> yeah, and, and all these different styles of bags. But at the end of the day, the thing that's most convenient to carry along with you is really, I think, the most valuable. You know, I mean, as much gear as we may have to keep up with as photographers, the last thing that we need is to be kind of having to lug a bunch of stuff from, yeah. from location to location. And if you've found something that works really well, that's convenient, I think that's really great. Yeah. I mean, and I have, I have an Amazon basics camera bag backpack that, uh, I also have with me, but the little backpack is just wonderful to have, you know, the two or three lenses that I carry on throughout the day and it's just lightweight and on my back. And I don't know, it's been working really, really well this year. And why did you choose the 51-2? Maybe this is an obvious question, but why did you choose the 1-2 the versus the 1-4 or the 1-8? I had a friend and I had used the 1-8 for a while and it just felt like, you know, it was wonderful. But I I don't know. It's one of those things that it's probably been influenced by other photographers saying, you have to have the 1.2, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, but, but once you get it, I'm telling you, you know, you won't want to switch back either. So... I guess probably just inspired by someone else and then decided I had to have it. Well, and probably once you see those, those beautiful kind of milky blown out backgrounds, it's hard to to go to anything else. Exactly. Well, we, we alluded to our our conversation to be a a bit ago with regards to to blogging. And uh, this is a really loaded topic. We've, I think we've really only (laughs) touched on it once before. And, and yet again, today, we're really only going to have time to kind of scratch the surface, but it's a big topic. It's one that's kind of interesting to me because, you know, our industry has changed so much. Social media has changed the landscape of the photo industry so much. Uh, I'm still curious to kind of get your take on on how blogging is, how it relates to social media. And do you continue to do both or how do you kind of balance the use of both? We'll get to that here in just a bit. But okay. I'm kind of curious to, to begin with, what is it that you love about blogging? I mean, not, not necessarily even for business. What is it to you? What does it mean to you personally? Yeah, I mean, I actually asked myself this uh I didn't do one this year, but the year before I've been doing previously uh, a year in review on the blog and it's totally personal and it's just, you know, things that I did throughout the year, you know, there's usually scratches of uh, business throughout there, but for the most part, it's just, I don't know. I think my blog is like my baby right now. I I've seen myself grow through it and there are blogs from years ago and then, you know, personal blogs and business blogs and just kind of seeing the growth and just like a total reflection and journal throughout my business and just personal life that just, I don't know, it's somehow 
turned itself into that and I couldn't be happier to have it. Well, you talk about it being your baby and it reminds me of a conversation <laughs> that has come up a little bit uh, on the podcast about the reality, which is that, you know, you, you have platforms like Facebook or Instagram that may or may not stay around. They may change. Ultimately, you don't have yeah. control over them. The thing about a blog is that there is certainly more control over what goes on it. And then, of course, you can oversee pushing it out there to your clients or potential clients to your fans uh, through newsletters or otherwise. But it's ultimately your platform that you're managing. And that carries Definitely. a lot of significance. But how does so that's how it matters to you personally talk to us a little bit about the value that it brings to your business and and you know i mentioned facebook and instagram those already exist they're such easy platforms to share yeah. images from your latest shoot on it's where people are spending so much time to then have to go to an additional place like a blog seems like extra work what what is the value of the blog to your business that maybe you can't find in social media yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's a total appeal to my clients to say, hey, your wedding is going to be blogged four days after your wedding. You know, it's going to be up there. Everyone's going to see it. You know, I joke like you're going to be blog famous to my brides yeah, and they're yeah. kind of like, oh, <laughs> you know, but then it ends up being something that they're like, oh my gosh, when am I going to be in the blog? And then it's also a personal connection because I spent a lot of time on the copy of the blog. So, you know, what I'm talking about, sometimes it's the experience that we had working together. A lot of times it's how he asked or a story about the two of them or, you know, my favorite part about the wedding was seeing grandma, you know, do this and just kind of telling those stories and as a result, kind of reflecting more or less what I was saying earlier with me being, you know, part of my brand positioning and just making that personal connection, I think is a big part of the blog. And you can communicate that in a way that maybe you don't have the space to communicate it on social yeah. media. And uh, just really, I think that I try and, you know, a lot of times my best friends will text me and be like, hey, you have a typo here or here's this because what I'm writing is it just, it just pours out. You know, it's not it's not she was wearing a purple dress and I loved their flowers. It's it's more of like the emotion that's captured through the pictures and the emotion that I've made connection points with my clients. Do you you mentioned copy and the, the amount of effort and energy you put into the copy that you're writing for your blog. Do you have experience or training of some kind in writing copy? Because this isn't necessarily a strength for photographers. And especially when it comes to social media, it's so easy to just kind of write the same lines over and totally. over and over again. How do you go about that process of writing good copy? I'm trying to think when I made kind of a switch, because I think when I started blogging, it was, you know, I need to describe what happened that day. And it, it started becoming extremely repetitive and just kind of generic. And I, I don't know if I read someone else's or something and I, I saw like, wow, there's a story there. I, I felt that. And so I started kind of trying to make, and sometimes I do it on my way home from a wedding or I'll ask my second shooters, like, what are some of our favorite things through that day? And I really just, I don't know that I've ever had experience or I, you know, I haven't technically taken like a course on writing or anything like that, but just, just kind of like, Telling it how it is and making someone feel something is my goal. So telling a story, make sure there's emotion innate to it. Is, is, do you, is there, are there any tricks or tips that you can give for making sure that, that <laughs> grammar is at least halfway decent? Because I've also seen that that's not necessarily probably yeah. most people's strength. 
you know, I don't, I think over time, I'm just like, I, I think my blog has helped me develop better writing skills yeah. just because through experience, I'll, I'll read it. And I don't know, I, I don't necessarily have any tips or tricks, but just making sure actually on my blog, there's a SEO or something plug in. And so there's a readability aspect mm-hmm. that kind of scores how you did and everything. And every once in a while, I'll write one and I can just instantly tell. And based on that little indicator, it's like, oh, yeah, I maybe should go back and proofread this a little bit because that wasn't my best work. Are you using WordPress for your blog? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So that we do as well at Photographer's Edit. And there's a plugin. Maybe this is the same one that you're using. It's called Yoast, Y-O-A-S-T. And it does have that readability score and it, and it breaks down in qu- quite a bit of detail, actually. It does. Um, why or why not that blog post is, as you say, readable. Um, so for those of you curious, we'll make sure to link to that, um, to information about Yoast uh, in the show notes as well. Uh, speaking of tools, you know, something that is really, truly important to us here at the podcast and, and of course, at Photographer's Edit as well is, is the notion of efficiency. Um, mm-hmm. Blogging can take a lot of time and effort and energy. And maybe there's no really taking that way in the end, but are there particular tools that you use for the sake of blogging that at least helps make that process a little bit more efficient? Definitely. Uh, so, I mean, anyone who blogs is definitely going to be like, yep, but uh blog stomp is huge because it instantly formats my photos to the size and everything that they need to be for the blog. And then uh, as far as culling and figuring out what goes on the blog, I use photo mechanic uh, and that really helps me. And I think we'll dive in a little bit more on the, the process of how I blog and what it takes from the session to getting it up on the blog, those kind of in-betweens. But those are the two main, I guess, programs. And then something I also do is I print off a blank calendar just from like Google that I've downloaded. And I actually go through and look at my schedule. And this is completely separate from my normal calendar. Uh, I write in, you know, if I have a shoot on Sunday, I know that I need to blog their session on Tuesday or I need to blog this wedding from that Saturday on Wednesday. And so it really helps me, you know, stay accountable. And then also just kind of sets up my day to where I know, okay, I have a blog today. Yeah, well, planning in advance, there there is something about being proactive in that, kind of like we were talking about at the beginning of our conversation. It's it's intentional. It's very simple at the end to just put that in the calendar. But then that way you're not kind of going through each week haphazardly and just reacting to whatever is in your inbox or whatever's coming across your phone. Exactly. You've actually got a plan that you're working toward. And, and I think that's so important. I mean, that's a good reminder for me. And it's something that I can always stand to, to do more consistently uh, is to plan ahead. But blog stomp you mentioned one of the things that i noticed looking at your blog is that your images i I think even more so than i see in the average photographer's website or on their blog uh, you've you very obviously have managed the resolution at which those images are output for the sake of the blog and i'm assuming you're doing that through blog stomp how do you decide that because a lot of photographers they're uploading what seem to be extremely high resolution photos that um, you know, whether or not they're concerned about this for their business could easily be taken off and printed at least at a smaller yeah, size. Yeah. How did you make that decision? Well, and that's where, you know, I actually, I don't put a watermark or anything like that on them, which a lot of photographers do, but I, yeah, with the resolution and everything I'm trying to look right now, actually. So my image width is at 800. And so that automatically resizes, uh, and my JPEG quality is at 95 rather than a hundred. So I think those kind of play into that and just make sure that yes, they're crisp and clear on the blog, but 
yeah, I mean, people aren't taking them and printing them off of it. And then photo mechanic, um, why photo mechanic over just using Lightroom? Well, because I only uh, import into Lightroom the pictures that I'm going to edit. So okay. in the past, in the past, I would call using Lightroom and then my Lightroom catalogs would have so many images in it. And yeah. I think just being able to sort through what you're going to do ahead of time, just it simplifies your process so much. And I used to call through Bridge as well. And just being able to quickly do it was Photo Mechanic's big strength. For sure. Yeah. And, and that's certainly something that I've heard over and over again. I, yeah. <laughs> like, I know that Adobe is claiming to speed up the Lightroom software. I'm not sure how much they actually have, even with their most recent updates. But yeah, I, I can I, I hear you on the efficiency of Photo Mechanic. And those those catalogs, at least in the past anyway, with the older versions of Lightroom have seemed to, to kind of get bogged down after you put too many images through the catalog. Definitely. Yeah. And I, I feel like I maybe learned that the hard way before I just, I, I don't, in my head, I thought, I don't, I don't need photo mechanic. You know, this is just an additional thing. And I would just have the slowest Lightroom catalogs you could imagine. <laughs> yeah. I would just load them and oh, they were going to die. So yeah, huge game changer there. Well, let's, let's actually talk about your process. You alluded to this a second ago, but I'd love, if you don't mind, if just kind of walking our listeners through the process, maybe starting with uh, getting home from that shoot, what does your yeah. blogging process look like? What are the steps in that? Yeah. So, I mean, I've mentioned for me, blogging is the first thing that I really do with any of the images. So like I said, if I have a wedding on Saturday, that bride knows their wedding is blogged on Wednesday. So for me, I get home, you know, I put them on the computer, I back them up (laughs) and then I call fully through. So I call everything that they're going to get in the end, if not more, because then I eventually kind of cut back. But uh, I call fully. And then from there, I call for the blog specifically. So if it's an engagement or anything, I pick the images or a little bit more than what will actually end up on there. And then from there, I edit those. And it actually helps me kind of side note, it helps me in the future for editing full weddings and things because then I use a lot of like copying pasting format for similar images and things in Lightroom. So I call for the blog, I edit those. Once I've edited them, I blog stomp them, I create the blog post. And then last but not least is really sitting down. Usually it's either a couple hours later or the next day, depending on when I want to get the blog up, but writing that copy and writing that story and making sure that I feel like someone is, you know, feeling the things that I've said earlier and that it kind of reflects how I feel about the couple and makes people see something through the pictures more so than just looking at them as, you know, X and Y person. Yeah. I mean, I know we already talked about it, but I'm still thinking about that tendency that photographers have to, to start their, their social media post or maybe their blog post with, I'm so excited to have photographed. It's the same, same kind of thing over and over again. It takes a little bit of effort to, to, kind of take a step back and really think with a fresh mind about how you can effectively tell that story in a way that's unique to that client. Well, and I mean, you referenced it, but taking time and blogging does take a lot of time, but just making sure, you know, every once in a while, if I am kind of in a rut and I look and I, I have started something like that, I can't tell you how many times I've just sat there and deleted the entire copy and thought, okay, Abby, you really need to dive in deep here. You need to think about this couple because what you're saying about them is not accurately portraying them as a couple. 
That's good. Yeah. I mean, as much as we do talk about efficiency, at the end of the day, sometimes things just take a little bit of extra work and effort. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and that's okay. But the final product hopefully is going to benefit from that. You mentioned culling and then culling for the blog. So for the sake of the listeners who probably, they may be wondering of what this actually looks like. Do yeah. you have a particular process flagging or starring or otherwise where you're culling for the, the general edit, uh, but then culling again for the blog? How do you go about that? Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. I'm sure someone else out there has a better way of doing it. But for me, I use Photo Mechanic. I have an originals folder. And then from there, I create within the same big folder of the couple or the wedding or whatever, uh, I'll create a to edit for like, you know, overall call. And then I'll have a to blog folder. And so I'm just I'm actually copying and pasting them over into those different folders rather than flagging or anything. But yeah, I think there's a lot of different ways to do it. And that's just kind of how I've started doing it. But And are you using the like, keyboard shortcuts or something like that to get speed up the process? Or how do you go about that copying the images into those folders? Yeah, I mean, typically in Photo Mechanic, there's a little plus on the top. And so it highlights all of those throughout when you're clicking the plus button. So I just really I'm clicking through with my left hand on the right button or whatever. And then I'm clicking with the other hand, any image that I think is good enough to call in general. And then when I go back again, I'm much more selective for what's going to go on the blog. But yeah, I mean, it really goes pretty fast as soon as you get comfortable with the keys and different things that do things. Yeah, it's it's definitely advantageous to all of those listening in, whether you outsource editing to a different company or you have an in-house assistant that's doing it. Um, yep. At some point in time, you're going to likely have to work with some type of image editing software and really any software for that matter. It's good to take advantage of keyboard shortcuts. It can save so much time. Yeah even just using a few simple keyboard shortcuts. You mentioned editing the blog images specifically. Do you process your images for the blog differently than you do for the gallery at large, like that gallery, the bigger gallery that you're going to deliver to your clients? Do you process your blog images differently? No. So, I mean, it's the same process. It's just, you know, a a full wedding gallery is going to be back to my bride within six to eight weeks. The the blog is within four days. And so that's really just my first step. And I kind of talked about it and I don't know if it was clear, but uh, when I edit those blog images, they're in my Lightroom catalog. So then when I go in and add the remaining images that I have to edit, usually there's at least one image from each kind of little section of time in the day that that really helps me to where I can copy those settings that I had on those blog images and then paste them over. And then that really makes my my editing minimal as far as continuing because I've already kind of gotten the overview edit on the blog pictures. Right, right. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And then as far as the delivery, you were talking about delivery 68 weeks for the delivery of the whole gallery. But what you, you shoot on Saturday, you're going to deliver that blog post by Wednesday. Is there a particular reason for that time frame? Have you, have you tested different time frames and seen that certain ones work better than others? Well, I, I started doing the Wednesday because for me, it's, you know, that's, it's still on the, the guest's mind. They're still excited and thinking about how much fun they had at that wedding, that bride and groom may be on a honeymoon. And it's like, you know, they're going to find a way to get Wi-Fi so that they can see their pictures there. Uh, It's also that same day that I send the blog, I send them, you know, a full, what will be their full gallery. I send them a pixie set gallery of those blog images. And I also send that to the vendors. So, you know, having that quick turnaround is really, really something that vendors appreciate because then you 
use those high quality photos to show off their flowers or their cake or whatever they did uh, for that wedding. Yeah. And and adding value to those vendors. I mean, we've talked about this on the podcast multiple times now, but it, it just makes such a big difference when it comes to building your brand in that market. If, if they see that uh, Ebby is going to, well, add value to their brand by just yeah. willingly providing these images that are going to benefit their brand, it, it's tough not to, to willingly reciprocate the love. And that, totally. that can make such a big difference in building your, your photography business. So I, I have, do have one last question, though, about social media. You've, you've got these images, this, this beautiful copy up on your blog post. How, how does that translate to what you're doing on social media? Is there some kind of connection, correlation between what you're doing on the blog and then what you're posting to Facebook or to Instagram? Definitely. So, I mean, I try and be consistent as far as if I'm sharing something on the blog, I'm going to make sure and talk about it on my Facebook and, you know, include a link to the blog, but also give people a little bit of a sneak preview on my Facebook or on whatever that makes them want to go to the blog. Same with Instagram, you know, especially with Instagram stories, giving them enough to where it's still making them inclined to go look at the rest of them. So I try not to double post 100% or show off, you know, everything that's going to be on the blog because I want people to be like, well, I have to go read the rest of this story. <laughs> yeah, I got to tease tease them, create some mystery yeah. and excitement about it. That's really great. Well, speaking of your blog and social media, um, in closing, will you just kind of share with our listeners where they can follow you online, the, the website, the blog, social media yeah, as well? Definitely. So uh, my Facebook is just Ebiel Photography. And again, I share lots of blog stuff on there. Uh, my Instagram is just, I'll spell it because no one never knows how to spell it. It's E-B-B-Y and then it's underscore L-O-W-R-Y. So Ebby Lowry is the Instagram. And then my website that has my blog and everything is just ebielphotography.com. Perfect. And we'll make sure to link to all of these in the show notes in addition to the resources that we mentioned. Ebby, thank you so much for making time to share with the Boca podcast today. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Thanks so much for listening to the Boca podcast today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. Music.